Uh, as you know, we have this right here in your seat, okay? You might have already moved it. You didn't want to sit on it. If you did sit on it, that'd be hilarious, but I hope you didn't. So uh, we have this here, and this is a communion cup, all right? If you've never taken communion, then hopefully you will with us today. We're going to talk about this little cup. We're going to talk about what it means, what it represents, why we take it. And there's so much that goes into this, but so much that I think people don't really fully understand. We had a little team meeting this morning and, and people come from all different kinds of backgrounds. Whether you're a Christian, whether you're not a Christian, whether you grew up Catholic or whether you grew up non-denominational or Baptist or Assemblies of God, Pentecostal. I mean, you could have had any kind of you know, Christian tradition or, or a Catholic Orthodox tradition. I don't know what your background is necessarily, but I know people got a lot of opinions on this. And so we're gonna talk about it today. Uh, communion is also known as the Lord's Supper or the Eucharist. And it's a sacrament where a believer in Jesus eats and drinks bread and wine in remembrance of his body that was broken and his blood that was shed on the cross for our sins so that we could have life. That is a very basic way of talking about communion. And uh, the story of the first communion that Jesus instituted himself is found in three out of the four gospels and then one letter of Paul to the Corinthians. It's found in 1 Corinthians, and we'll read a few of those today. And Jesus said these words, and it was the last meal that he shared with his disciples before his death. It was the Passover. It was the very beginning of the Passover. And that's a time when the Jews would celebrate their escape from slavery in Egypt. And so this was a very important festival. It was a very important meal that they would take together. And, and Jesus puts a new twist on it. He talks about it differently and does something a little bit different. And now we don't necessarily celebrate Passover. Some people still do for sure, but we celebrate communion because Jesus instituted this himself. We're going to read the account that's in Matthew. It's in Matthew 26, 26 through 29. It should be up on the screen for you. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. So Jesus, he foretells his death just before this. Then he foretells a betrayal by one of his disciples. But then he also says that this death of his is going to be called a ransom for many. It'll be a ransom for many. And at this point, the disciples are very confused. They're like, what is this dude talking about here? Now, Jesus has been hinting at the fact that he was going to die for a long time now. And you would think that eventually the disciples would figure it out. Honestly, all of the gospels are the disciples just lagging behind and just trying to figure out what in the world is going on. So if you ever been confused about your walk with Jesus, don't worry. The people that literally walked with Jesus were also confused about 80% of the time. Okay. So don't worry about it. You're with, you're in good company. Okay. Um, and they're very confused. They're trying to figure out what he's meaning by some of these cryptic death claims. And they would, they were arguing over well, I'm not going to betray him. Are you going to do it? Lord, it's, it's not me, is it? I, I would never do that. You, are you going to do that? And they're looking at each other, trying to point the finger. You ever done that before? Somebody says, somebody did something wrong. Somebody got into the cookie jar. Who was it? And all the kids point every different direction. You know, it was him. It was her. It was him. They're never pointing at themselves. And that's what the disciples were doing in that moment. And then Jesus goes off talking about how this bread is his body and this 
wine that they're drinking is his blood and stuff. And now I am even just like, okay, if you're not a Christian in this place today, if you're somebody that has never been to church before, that's some weird sounding stuff. Okay. You sounds like we're in a cult right now. And I totally understand. Okay. And there's so much that goes into it. There's so much symbolism and there's so much, it's hard to understand. And so I want to break this down for you because if it was confusing for them, I would understand how it'd be confusing for a believer today. And it might be something that you've done your entire life, but you've never actually looked into the Bible and looked into why do we do this? What's the importance of communion? Like, why are we supposed to take this? How important really is it? And I believe that it is very important. And I actually believe that we have done a lot of things wrong when it comes to communion. And I think that we need to repent of some of these things and correct ourselves, especially in the Western American culture. So you see this right here. This is the, the bread right here, uh, if you can call it that, and the wine, which is not. We'll talk about that in a second. Uh, but people are hardcore about their beliefs on the bread and the wine, and they have very opposing views. And so I want to take some time to talk about the bread and the wine itself. Now, if you grew up Catholic or if you grew up in maybe an Orthodox kind of uh, Christian you know, denomination or something like that, you probably would have actually had real wine when you took communion. Did any of you have real wine in communion when you were growing up? Yes. Okay. Lucky you. You know what I'm saying? Come on now. So uh, I grew up non-denominational and uh, I believe that the non-denom and the Baptists and, you know, people like us, we don't have very good taste. Okay. Obviously not uh, because we use these pre-filled cups. And when these things came out, this was like, <laughs> it's like a modern miracle or something. It was always so difficult to do communion, you know, like People would be breaking off bread and, you know, trying to get these little cups. And then you have the little trays and a lot of churches still have those. And you take your own little cup and stuff like that. But these were just amazing when these came out for us. But, you know, um, <clears throat> we use like Welch's grape juice. You know what I'm saying? It's like little kid juice. And then uh, this is a wafer. And I'm fairly certain that these could be made in an uh, easy bake oven for children. You know, I'm fairly positive that's how they produce these. They just have lots of children and just rows in a factory and they're just easy bake ovening the heck out of these things and just pumping those out. So, uh, but seriously, when I first found out that my friends that were Catholic had wine when they took communion, I, it was insane. They're like 12, like my preteen friends, I'm 12, 13 years old. And I'm like, you guys actually drink alcohol when you take communion? They're like, yeah, don't you? I'm like, yeah, totally. I do too, trying to be cool. No, it's Welch's grape juice, okay? But I'm just imagining like a 12-year-old William going up to the priest and like, oh, we have Pinot Grigio today, very nice. Is this a rosé? Oh, how nice. Very sweet. I like this one. Nice job, priest, you know? So it's just weird. It was just weird for me because that's not how I grew up. Uh, but the wine that Jesus used most likely was fermented. So it was probably at least somewhat alcoholic, but the wine in the Bible is a lot different than the wine we have today. The wine we have today is extremely alcoholic, right? The, the alcohol percentage ratio was completely different. They drank wine back then because the water was unsafe to drink, right? They drank water or they drank wine and it was much, much more watered down than the stuff that you would just buy at a grocery store today. It was very, very different. Um, but people will argue over that. They'll argue does, it has to be wine. It has to be grape juice. Uh, maybe, honestly, if we're just being real theologically, it was probably just somewhere in the middle. Okay, it was probably somewhere in the middle. And we don't necessarily know, but that's probably what it was. But that's not even the main disagreement that people have over communion. The main disagreement that different traditions in, in church will have is that the Catholic church and other uh, Christian traditions would maybe say that this wine and the bread that you eat and drink 
literally becomes the body and blood of Jesus as you consume it. And now they, are, they even argue about when that happens, right? Is it as you're eating it or is it just like in your stomach somewhere? And it's like they get into like these crazy arguments. But the idea, it's called transubstantiation. Now everybody say transubstantiation. I think three of you got that right. Well done. All right. It's a big theological word. And basically the idea is, is that it actually transforms into the body and the blood of Jesus. And there's a different one that's called consubstantiation, which is if you know, you know, Latin and, and actually Spanish, you'd probably be able to figure this out. But con means with, right? So it really means that Jesus is with the elements and he's present in the elements, but doesn't actually become, right? And so there's all these different things. And it sounds a little crazy and a little creepy, right? Um, but then the Protestants, which are more like uh, the non-denominational traditions, Baptists, Assemblies of God, Pentecostals, things like that, uh, they would say, no, 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 something very different is happening. It's not actually becoming the body and the blood of Jesus, but uh, they represent his body and his blood. It's a metaphor and it's, it's a symbol, it's symbolic of what Jesus was about to do. And it has nothing to do with the actual elements changing into anything, but it's more of a remembrance of our savior and what he did for us on the cross. That's kind of more of that tradition. And either way that you think about that, you can argue the semantics of theology and Greek and words and all that. And you can get into the, you can really get into the weeds on that kind of a thing and that kind of a study. But I think you could get to the heart of the matter, which is way more important. And that is this, that communion does not forgive you of your sins, but it reminds you of your savior who already forgave them. You can argue about little things and does it actually change or does it not? Is it, is Jesus present in it? Is he with it? And all that. You can argue about that all day long, but listen, I think you got to get to the heart of what Jesus was trying to say. Listen, this is a way that we remind ourselves of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross that we were bought with a price. We were not bought with just a small price, but Jesus, the son of God himself that came down in the flesh, gave his life up for you and for me that we could have life. And Jesus died for all of us, even those who don't accept him as Lord. And that brings me to kind of my next thought. And these are things I like to preach about things that I think about and things that I think maybe you think about too. And, and it just kind of questions that we think about. And so I'm going to read Matthew 26, 14 through 16 here. It says, one of the 12, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? And so they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. And from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. So I'm thinking now, did Judas take communion? Was Judas there taking communion? And when you look at the four times the Lord's Supper, another way to talk about communion is retold in scripture. It's actually not clear whether Judas was present for it or not. I know many of us would just assume, well, he must have been there because it doesn't say that he wasn't necessarily. But it's not actually clear if he was there or if he was not there. Some argue that, they, that he was and some argue say that he had already left at that point to go get the Roman guards to betray Jesus. And you got to think. Uh, did Judas take communion? You ever had a friend 
that just like stabbed you in the back? I mean, that's what Judas is about to do, right? He's about to betray Jesus. And I'm sure all of us have had at least one friend that just did something that's like, come on, man, they just stabbed you in the back. And if you've had that, I'm really, really sorry. I don't know what they might've done. They might've stole your girl. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what they did. Might've taken your research at work and presented it as their own. Could have been just something real simple like that. Or maybe it's just a friend that just dropped you off. Like you don't even exist anymore. And they went to hang out with another friend group. And it's just really upsetting, really sad. Or maybe they gossiped about you and told stories rumors, whatever it might be. I know we've gone through things like that before, but let's be real. Would you want to eat a meal with them? Probably not. Okay. But we know Jesus knew was about to happen. Jesus knows that Judas is about to go betray him. He already knew that it was Judas. And yet you got to think if Judas was there, that'd be crazy. If he allowed him to take this communion meal with him, right? Wouldn't it be crazy if Jesus let him partake in such a holy moment that we would remember for thousands of years and, and partake of sharing a meal with the man that was about to betray him and turn him over to these Roman guards to be killed. I mean, he had walked with him for three years at this point, gone all over and seen all kinds of miracles. And they had done so many things. You got to think how many road trips have they taken together to go preach uh, the kingdom of heaven is near all these people, all the miracles they've seen together. How many meals honestly have they shared together? And it'd be crazy if Jesus would let him stay with him for that meal. But Jesus calls us or calls his disciples, his friends. And yet when the time came, Judas actually turned on him. And it's not entirely clear when Judas leaves the meal. Maybe he took it, maybe he didn't. But while allowing Judas to take communion with everybody would have been pretty scandalous. And even today, some theologians would say, if Jesus let Judas take the communion, that would just be absolutely scandalous. Because when you take communion, you're supposed to confess your sins before the Lord. You're supposed to be in right standing with the Lord before you take communion. And there's actually some things, and we'll talk about that in a second. And so they said there's no way that Judas could have taken communion. And to be honest, whether he did or whether he didn't, I think the more scandalous thing is the thing that happened right before they had that meal. And that is that Jesus washed his feet. In John 13, 1 through 11, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Peter is all in, right, guys? He's like, no, no, no. If you're going to do this, you got to go all the way. I'm not going to let you do it. He said, no, 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 I, I have to. He said, well, then just wash all of me. Just do all of it. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. Obviously talking about Judas. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that's why he said not everyone was clean. He said not everyone was clean, but it doesn't say that Jesus didn't wash all of their feet. And Jesus presumably washed Judas's feet in that moment. 
And while it would have been scandalous for him to take communion with the, with the 12 and with Jesus in that moment, to be honest, I think that's the even more scandalous thing. That Jesus would get down on his feet, down on his, down on his hands and knees, right? And get this nasty, dirty towel and wipe Judas's nasty, betraying feet, right? That would be the, that'd be the worst. The fact that the Son of God himself would get down and do that, that is absolutely scandalous. And in my mind, when I look at that passage right there, that day Jesus got down and washed the feet of every atheist that mocks God. He washed the feet of every Muslim, every Hindu, every Buddhist, every Christian that has turned away from God, every Christian that is doubted in him. And in that moment, he wasn't just washing the feet of Judas. Let me tell you, he was also washing yours. It's sinners, broken, undeserving of the grace that Jesus has given us. And yet he demonstrates his love for us through what he did for Judas in that moment. And whether or not Judas was there for communion, it doesn't matter as much to me. Because in my opinion, Jesus already showed what it looks like to love those who hate you just an hour beforehand by washing all of their feet. And there are some things that are really important about communion. And I, and I want to make sure that we're clear on that. There are some clear distinctives for taking communion and what that means. And, and there's rules. I mean, in, in the Bible, there's actually some clear commands and clear rules that we know. These are things that Jesus expects of us. These are things that the Holy Spirit and the Father expects of us as believers in Jesus to do. And, you know, to be honest, people don't really like rules and people don't, especially nowadays, right? Everything is relative. Truth is relative. And then we see the Bible and the, the, the fact that biblical illiteracy is rampant in Western Christianity, I'm just going to say it. People don't even know the Bible enough to know what Jesus expects of us. That's why we talked about Bible study a few weeks ago, because, man, we got to get in our word. If we say that we believe in Jesus, we say that we believe in God, and yet we don't actually look to scriptures to see what he expects of us. How does that make any sense? I think at that point, you got to examine what do I really believe, right? I'm just being real. Can I be real with you all today? Because I think this is important. I think we need to know. And the rules are not a bad thing. I mean, my three-year-old would disagree with you that rules are not a bad thing. Okay, but listen, you know what I'm talking about. Kids would disagree with you. But you understand as parents, rules are important and, and directions and, 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 and clear instruction is important for your kids so that they will grow up to be the kids and the men and women of God that you would have them to be, that you would want them to be. That's how you lead and train your children. The Bible says train up a child and the way he should go. So when he's old, he will not depart from it. And that's what the word does for us. And so uh, in 1 Corinthians 11, this is the only time outside of the gospels that it talks about communion. Paul writes this. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, listen in, will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Does that sound fun? No, that does not sound good. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. As we have the band, go ahead and come on up. I want to talk about a couple of things here about why you should not take communion. All right. There are some times when you probably shouldn't take communion. And I'm just going to be honest with you. All right. Because you might realize after I say some of these things that you'd be like, oh, I've done that before. And it's OK. All right. But let's talk about it. Don't take communion. Number one, if you're not a believer in Jesus, if you're not a believer in Jesus, this is not for you. And that's OK. That's OK. But I would start there first. Wrestle with that faith. What does that look like? Do I believe in Jesus? Do I believe that he died for my sins and that he rose again? Is that something that I can honestly say 
I really believe in because you know what? This is something that we're remembering what Jesus did for us. And so if you don't believe in Jesus, this it's just not something for you. And that's totally okay. This is a way for us to remind ourselves of the sacrifice that Jesus made. And it, the Bible actually says that it's the way that we proclaim his death until he comes, which is amazing. I love that. And so start there first, wrestle with that faith that you have. And when you decide, hey, you know what? I am a believer in Jesus. And maybe you can make that decision today, right here, right now, before we even take communion. Maybe you feel the Holy Spirit working on you right now. And so you could be a part of this today if you would like, but, but work that out in your own heart first. The second one is if you're living in unrepentant sin, if you're living in sin right now and you're not confessing it and you have no plans to change it, I would tell you, you better not take communion, okay? I'm gonna tell you why in a second, but do not take communion. And this is the reason why. And that, at that point, when we take communion and we're reminding ourselves of what Jesus is doing for us and the sacrifice that he made for us and we're living in unrepentant sin, we have no, no intentions of changing, that's a slap in the face to Jesus and what he did for us. That is abusing the grace of God. I'm sorry to get a little intense today. I'm going to be a little intense today because I think that this is this important. And the reason why I'm intense is because I think the third one right here is so important is that so many times people aren't taking it seriously. We don't take this seriously, especially in our culture. So I talked to our team this morning and I said, hey, I want you guys to know this, but the first of every month, the first Sunday of every month, we're going to take communion now as a church together every month, first Sunday of every month, to have more consistency in what we do. We've been doing it every few months. And at first it was really more of a COVID thing. And, but now I said, you know what? Let's every single month, first Sunday, we're taking it. And I said it earlier, but I think we make casual what God calls sacred many times in our church, in the Western society, especially in America. We take things so casually with our faith but yet God is holy, right? If you look to the Old Testament, a lot of times we think that the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. It's simply not true. God of the Old Testament is the exact same as the God of the New Testament. Now things have changed in the covenant that we have between God and our relationship has been altered because of what Jesus did for us, which is why we celebrate him in this way. But if you were a priest in the Old Testament, if you were the high priest, and you were to walk into the Holy of Holies, right? This was a place that they had set aside where the literal presence of God rested. There was a curtain that'd be pulled back and there was a very specific way that you were supposed to enter into the Holy of Holies. And if you didn't do it the right way, you would actually drop dead. And there are times in scripture where people drop dead because they did not honor the Lord in the right way. They did not follow the, direct, the clear directions that he had given them. And in the Old Testament, you see that so many times. And yet in the New Testament, we think, wow, well, we don't live under law anymore. We're under grace. That's amazing. Now I can do whatever I want. And it's like, no, that's not how that works. Paul actually talks about that. Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? Absolutely not, is what he says. You shouldn't go on sinning because just so that you can say, oh, well, I'll pray about it later and then God will forgive me. Absolutely. But we should never abuse the grace of God in that way. We need to thank God for his grace and, and thank him that he will forgive us of our sins whenever we come to him with a true repentant heart. But listen, there's some people that I know that they'll go out and party in every weekend and they say, oh, I'll pray about it later. I'll come back to God 10 years from now. No, 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 listen, that's not how it works, man. It's time to repent of our sins 
and turn to Jesus. Amen? And I'm sorry I'm coming on a little strong today. Actually, I'm not sorry about it. That's what the Lord told me to say. But normally I'm a little bit more chipper, right? But I think there's some times when we have to be reminded that there are some things in this world and in this universe that are just sacred and we need to treat them as such. And this is one of them. Paul tells us in this scripture, everyone ought to examine themselves. Somebody say examine. Examine themselves. What is an exam? An exam is when you check every single part of your health. You check every single part of yourself. When you go to the doctor and you're going for an exam, they're looking at all kinds of different things. They check your heart, they check your lungs, they check your mouth, your nose, all this stuff. You go for a checkup or whatever, they're checking every single little bit. You do blood draws. Every single part of you is being checked. And that's what this means right here. That's what this word means is examine yourself. Look at every part of who you are and say, God, how have I sinned against you? And so many of us have so much pride that we say, well, I, probably, I don't think I've done anything wrong. Listen, let me tell you, if you will actually just take a second and just sit there and ask the Lord, how have I sinned against you? I guarantee you take 30 seconds and just stop and just wait. I guarantee you the Holy Spirit will reveal something to you. And many times we know the sin that we have within us, right? And it, maybe it's not some huge thing or something like I'm cheating on my wife or my husband. Maybe it is for somebody in this room. I don't know. But many times it's like, I'm just angry. That's sin, right? How do we deal with that? Can I deal with that, Lord, right now? How can you help me with this sin that's in my heart right now? Maybe you're prideful. Maybe to the point where you're saying right now, well, I don't think I'm doing anything wrong. Well, listen, maybe you have pride, okay? Maybe you need to sit there and wait until the Lord breaks that pride off of you before you take this cup. How have I sinned against you? Communion is this, it's time for confession. It's a time for repentance and it's a time for remembrance. And listen, the best part about it is, is that you don't need a priest. You don't need me. You don't need anybody else. There's no mediator necessary for you to talk to God right now to confess your sins before him, right? And to receive forgiveness. I mean, you could do that right here, right now. If you're not even a believer in Jesus, you could say, yes, you know what? Right now I believe in Jesus and God, I'm giving my life to you. You could take communion with us right here, right now and remember what Jesus did for you on the cross. And here's the thing, you know the sin that's in your life probably. Most of us know what's going on in our lives. Let's be real, you know what's going on. And you know that you've fallen short. And the problem is many times I've taken this and I've, I've come to communion time and I've been really just like, oh, I don't wanna take communion. Why? Because I know that I gotta deal with my stuff. And it becomes more of a guilt trip over myself. And I start doing this self-condemnation thing. And I'm like, I don't even think I'm worthy to take this right now because I'm just so unworthy and I've just messed up, man. Like I'm not, I'm not who God wants me to be right now. And I know I should be doing better. And I just want to try. And it's all about trying better. And, and you're trying to attain this level of perfection that listen, you will never have. And that's okay to know. You will never have that level of, of perfection. That's not what Jesus is asking of you. That's not what God is asking of you. Do not let your sin tell you how bad you are, but let your sin remind you of how good God is. Let, him, let it remind you of what he's done for you and how I'm not worthy of this. I'm not worthy to partake of this, but you know what? Jesus, because of you and what you did for me on the cross, because of the grace that you freely offer me, a man that doesn't deserve it, to be honest. None of us do. 
But if we recognize that there's something holy about this moment and we can come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I've messed up, I've sinned, I give you my sin right now. And it's not about me just trying to be better, but it's about me recognizing who you are and what you've done for me. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would take away all the thoughts that are not of you and the things in my heart that are not of you and replace them with thoughts of you and, and, and holy thoughts. Things that are gonna build me up, edify me, lift me up. Help me to be more like you, Jesus. And then in that moment, don't let it be a guilt trip, but just receive the grace that Jesus offers us, right? Don't feel bad. Feel empowered by the grace of Jesus. There might be some stuff that you have to deal with when you get home today, but in this moment, give it to God and take communion and know that that grace is available to you. Would everybody stand in this place today? If you would, please go ahead and grab your cup here. I'm going to take the bread out first. You guys have one? You guys good? While they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. What does this represent? It represents the body of Jesus that was broken for you. The body of Jesus that he willingly gave up and put onto a cross so that you and I could have life and could have an abundant life. Not just a life where we get by, but a life where we're victorious through Jesus, amen? Now, no matter what tradition you grew up with, no matter what you think happens to this thing, once you consume it, doesn't matter. I mean, completely honest, it doesn't matter. But what does matter is that you take a moment before you take this and before you take this and you confess your sin before the Lord. And then we'll take this together. What I wanna do is I wanna give you about a minute to just pray to the Lord out loud, in your head, by yourself, and thank Jesus for what he did for you on the cross. Let the Holy Spirit reveal any sins within you. Confess that and then receive the grace of Jesus. And then I'll lead us and we'll take this together. Amen? One minute. Thank you for what you did for me. Thank you for what you did for me. Thank you, Jesus.
with every head bowed, every eye closed, just one moment, there's somebody in here today that's saying yes to Jesus. There's somebody in here today that is giving their life to him, whether they're rededicating your life or you're just saying, you know what, I, I'm, I, this is it. This is it for me right here, right now. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just wanna know, is that you in this place? Would you just raise your hand at me and say that that's you? If, if there's somebody in here that's saying, I'm giving my life to Jesus right now. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I wanna give him everything that I have. I'm giving my life back to him. If that's you, would you just raise your hand at me real fast? I wanna see you. I see you, there you are, okay. Is there anybody else that wants to say yes to Jesus today? Amen. Yeah, I knew there was one. Awesome, awesome. You get to participate in this today. Welcome to the family. Father, we thank you for your son that gave his body for us. And now we take this together as a remembrance for that body that was up on the cross for me and for all of us. Please take the bread. And now if you'd open the cup. Wow. It says in the word that Jesus, when he was praying at the Garden of Gethsemane, was actually crying and sweating so much that there was actually blood coming out of his face. I mean, just incredible. The agony and the pain, even well before he was ever even on the cross, before he had been touched, he was already feeling the effects of what he knew was about to happen. But then they put the crown of thorns on his head. And you have to imagine what that would have felt like and blood just gushing down from his head and his face and then the whips on his back that just absolutely destroyed his back. And then now you're gonna put him on a cross, nails in his hands and his feet. The amount of blood that was shed just at the very beginning, but then as he was up on the cross, people mocking him, making fun of him. And yet he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. That is incredible. The grace that he has and the mercy that he has for us. And that's what he says to you right now. He's forgiving you. When he said, Father, forgive them, he wasn't just talking about those people that were right there crucifying him. But every single one of us, because of our sin, all of us put him on that cross. And yet he said, forgive them, forgive you, forgive you, forgive you, forgive you, forgive you. If you would take another 15, 30 seconds and thank Jesus for his blood that was shed on the cross for us, the blood of the lamb. In the Old Testament, they sacrificed animals to get right with God and Jesus took that on himself and said, you know, I'll sacrifice myself. It's my blood that will cover them in their sins now. Take a few moments to thank God, to thank Jesus for his blood that was shed.
and then we'll take the cup together. Jesus, we worship you. We thank you, God. Worthy Jesus. Thank you for your blood. It was shed for us. Thank you, Jesus. You may take the cup. Now, what I want us to do quickly is we're going to take a moment and worship Jesus together. Come on, we've remembered him. We've confessed our sins before and we're receiving grace today. The encouraging, loving hand of Jesus, the grace of Jesus is on you right now. And we're going to sing this last song quickly. But what I want you to do is really focus in your eyes on Jesus today. Remind yourself of what he's done for you as we sing this song. Come on, can we get, give Jesus praise in this place today? Come on, can we lift our hands, lift our voice? Wow. 
Man, I'm so glad we got to share that moment together with the Lord and with each other. And I just encourage you to continually receive that grace throughout this week, right? Because listen, it's not just a today thing. We need that every single day. In fact, the Bible says that his mercies renew every single morning. How many of you know it's because every morning I wake up, I need some mercy because I'm like, Lord Jesus, help me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I need some help today. I need my coffee and I need my Jesus, all right, to get me through this day today. And that's how I feel so many times. But let me remind you that if there's anything that happens this week, I want you to go back to this day today and remind yourself that, hey, that grace is not just for the moment I take communion, but listen, I can come to Jesus at any point in time and ask for grace and ask for forgiveness, and he's right there with me. So I wanna remind you, if this is your first time, please, or if you're new and you just wanna meet some people, we have food over here for you, okay? We have food for you and your kids and your family. We would love to get to know you. Please come over and hang out with us. Come to the welcome party. Uh, I'll give like a quick two-minute welcome at the very end of it tell you a little bit about what's going on at Radical Church, but really we just want to get to know you and say, hey, um, last thing, check your church center app for all the things that are coming up. We would love for you to get involved in what's going on at Radical Church. And uh, let me pray us out and then we'll get out of here. Father, we thank you. We worship you. We praise you. You're good. You're a good, good God. And we love you so much in Jesus name. Everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you next week.